Good morning. As you can tell, we're going to crowd the stage. Emmett, you can slide on behind me here. I'll make some room for you. I don't want to fall off that. I'm glad this isn't videoed because that would be pretty, wouldn't it? See me falling off the stage. So um, there should be a phone number that will pop up on the screen here in a moment. You guys will have access to uh, text Pastor Emmett some live questions as we hit our passage this morning. And uh, don't spam him during the week with crank texts and phone calls. That would be inappropriate. Um, But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take head on Genesis um, chapter 38 the in the narrative, uh, the story of Judah and Tamar. And so we have some notes here. We're going to dialogue over those those notes uh, and hopefully answer some of your questions. And what we don't get to in regard to your questions, we'll come back and hit those again on another first Sunday like we did this morning from the last time we did this. So what I'm going to do uh, is I'm going to summarize the story of Judah and Tamar. I'm not going to read it. And I know that there's a two-edged sword there. There are people say, read the Word of God. And then there's some say, you shouldn't have read that out loud in public. And so I know it's a lose-lose. So I told you last week, this passage is explicit. I posted a video uh, about it for you guys. Encouraged you to make sure your little ones were in radical kids. And, uh, and so I've done all I can do to spare you from me turning very red in your presence. And so uh, I already feel myself getting red, and hopefully I won't get any redder than I am. So I'm going to summarize the story, and then we're going to ask some questions, and Keith's going to jump in, and we're going to try to help us navigate our way to the gospel um, and see what God would have us see in this passage. So if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to pray again because I need it. Father, in Jesus' name, uh, help us to do justice to your word that we can arc over and see the gospel and see the facets of the gospel and and characteristics of who you are and the mission you've given us in the world in this passage. Don't let us miss that, Holy Spirit. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Here's the summary. Judah is going to go down to a city called Adula and visit his friend who is an Adulamite. And the story immediately comes off the rails because he lusts over a daughter, an unnamed woman. We never get her name. She's a daughter of a man named Shua, who is a Canaanite. And so we already see the problem, right? Mm-hmm. They are not to intermarry with folks from other religious backgrounds and mix the worship of the Lord with the worship of idols. So we already see off the bat something getting sideways. So they conceive and they have three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Judah's wife is named, again, her name is never given, just the daughter of Shua. And Yahweh, quickly into the story, puts Ur to death. And the stated purpose, he's wicked. That's all we get. Then Judah instructs, Onan, his brother, to do his leveret duty for his brother so that Ur's name could be carried on and that Tamar can be properly cared for by providing a line of children for his brother and Onan, being selfish, and I'm scrubbing this clean here, does not complete the task appropriately. You should be impressed with how I did that without saying what he actually did. As a result, Yahweh puts Onan to death for his wickedness too. So summary execution. 
right off the bat. Judah then instructs Tamar to stay a widow in her father's house until the youngest, Sheila, grows up. And the truth is, and I think this is pretty easy to glean from the passage, that he's afraid the Lord's going to kill Sheila too and sort of puts it on the back burner and really sort of a ploy and plot to put Tamar away. Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, passes away. She dies. And so Judah goes up to the sheep shearing because it's that time of year and he's a widower now and he's kind of feeling his oats. And at the same time, Tamar has been left in her father's house a widow and not provided for like she should have been. And so she goes to this same sheep shearing location and she dresses like a woman of ill repute and happens to catch the eye of old Judah. And so Judah begins to bargain for her services and they settle on the price of one goat. But Tamar wants to know, how do I know you're going to pay me? He says, what will I give you? And she says, well, give me your signet ring, your cord, which is likely for tying up his garments and his staff. So they settle on him leaving those things. Bada bing, bada boom. <clears throat> uh, I told Emmett and Justin and Jim about a vision I had. Uh, let's not go there. Uh, just think, never mind. Tamar leaves and she puts back on her widow's clothing. Judah goes home, he gets the young goat, sends it by his Adulamite friend to deliver to this young woman. And he comes back with word, uh, she's not there. That woman doesn't exist. So Judah's like, hey, bring that goat back home. Let's get this figured out because we're going to look like fools. and We're going to look like we got punked because I did get punked. So three months go by and Tamar turns up pregnant and Judah's all like, hey, kill her according to the law. She's been immoral. What a hypocrite, right? And then Tamar is brought out to be stoned to death and she shows the signs that Judah had left her and everybody realizes that's Judah's baby. So Judah, though, does what's right. See, we're already getting questions. <laughs> Jeez, we haven't even answered anything yet. And you guys are... Oh my. So he admits his wrong. And he doesn't have any type of physical relationship with her anymore. But Tamar becomes the mother in the line of Judah. Or becomes a mother in the line of Judah. Tamar gives birth to twins. The first one, Zerah, has a hand that comes out. The midwife ties a red cord around to say you're the firstborn. But in, in reality, Perez is actually fully born first. And so Tamar gives birth. To Perez and Zara. And that's the story. Therefore, Keith, <laughs> I'm going to let you talk for a minute. Where does this story fit in the gospel? And are there any gospel tributaries that are going to help take us to Jesus here? Yeah, so, um, you know, the first thing you see is these, this Canaanite, this Gentile involvement mm -hmm. um, in, in the story of Jesus' birth and line. So there's a there's a sign that um, that God is interested again. I mean, it's not the first time, but there, this is a consistent thing. Although this really, if you look at the the line, the genealogy in Matthew, um, you know, Tamar is the first sort of the first entrance of a woman and a Gentile. That's right. And then of course we know it's followed by a few more. Right. But we we realize that um, that uh, 
the Lord's interested in saving Gentiles. This isn't just a Jewish thing. That's right. And we also see that um, God's going to redeem mankind absolutely in spite of their behavior. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I think it's key to recognize here one of the things that, that that's easy to get isolated on when we say gospel. We have a tendency to think the justifying work of the cross only. That's true. Yeah. But when we talk about the gospel, biblically, the gospel is much more... Mm faceted than the salvific work of the gospel. Mm -hmm. There's the nature of God that demands that a sacrifice be made. Mm -hmm. So his holiness, his righteousness, his purity, all those things. There is there are the implications on his nature and character in mankind and humankind, his redemption of, of mankind from a state of sin. So this idea that he's not only taking a Gentile into the family line of the Messiah, but he's taking a woman mm -hmm. Gentile into the family line of the Messiah. And explicitly giving her a name, whereas Judah's lustful encounter with Shua's daughter, she didn't even get a name in the mm -hmm. story. And the Lord goes, wait a second. This woman has a name. And you're going to call her by her name. And she's going to be in the line of the Messiah. Yeah. So part of the gospel work is God taking women out of this cattle-type status and lifting them up to image-bearer equal on the same plane with men. Yeah. It's key. Yeah, and... Um and it's one of the things that's encouraging to me about that part of this story and the, the bigger narrative is that what <clears throat> you read in Matthew, that genealogy, if all this was made up, why in the world would Jews include women and right. Gentiles? Right. They would have never done that. Yeah. Like that, if you're trying to write a great story about being Jewish and how God, yeah. the Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the God of Israel is going to save mankind. That's right. You don't do it like that. No. Yeah. And so that's that's um yeah. It's a remarkable part of this story to me that goes it's so unlikely who would have right. who would have crafted a story like that if it wasn't true. Absolutely. Well you, you have Tamar from uh so you got Tamar, you've got Rahab, you've got Ruth, you've got Bathsheba, mm -hmm. and then you have Mary. <clears throat> and there's almost this sense of this progression of these scandalous relationships <laughs> that prepares us for how Jesus himself is gonna enter humanity, mm -hmm. enter time and space through this somewhat scandalous-looking yeah. relationship. So it's almost God is preparing the plane for Christmas. Yeah. And he's leaving it there going, hey, guys, it's not like this is out of pattern. There's been a pattern here. Yeah, attention. God would never bring the Messiah through a girl who's not married. <laughs> yeah. God forbid. Why right? would you think, you know, right. what, did the, what happened in our history? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, one of the takeaways for me from this and so many of the rest of the stories in the Bible is that God is not surprised by our sin. Right. And our, he doesn't scandalize him, and he's seen it before, yeah. and he's still at yeah. work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. Um, a gospel tributary, you know, last week we talked about these tributaries that lead us to the, the ocean of the redemptive work of Christ is the fact that Judah begins to display repentance and faith. Mm -hmm. His sin gets uncovered, and when it gets uncovered, he doesn't continue to push it. He just simply says, "She's she's right. Yeah. I was wrong," and 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 even to the point of not even having a physical relationship with her anymore. He just simply begins to care for yeah. and admit his wrongdoing and move forward. Yeah, and he yeah. was, um, he, you know, Judah's this guy that early on in the story is involved in all these negative things that are happening. I just they just literally got me. All these negative things that are happening to Joseph. Right. Um, you know, he's, it's sort of his idea to put him in the pit. 
Um, it's, it's, you know, he's going to sell them off into slavery. Right. Um, and then later on in the story, Judah has become sort of a spokesperson in Egypt for the brothers. He's almost become sort of, he's a leader. It's the ones that, he's the one that they want to listen to. Right. You get later in the story in Jacob, they've got to figure out how to go back and get Simon because they want him to bring, ben, Joseph wants them to bring Benjamin. Right. Um, Reuben tries to plead with J- Jacob, let me take Reuben or Benjamin down. I'll bring them all back. And right. Jacob's like, nah. Right. And then, and then Judah shows up and goes, I'll do it. And Jacob says, okay. Yeah. So right. he, and then, yeah. you know, and then later on in the story, this guy who's, who's done these crazy things, he finally gets humbled. And the, yeah. you know, the, the message to me is the Lord can change anyone. Yeah. And it's with that repentant, like a repentant heart, and a repentant series of events is what, um, you know, produces a Messiah. That is a line that produces a Messiah because Joseph isn't right. the line. That's right. That's Judah's right. the line. Judah's the line. Yeah. That's right. Um, th- this this totally uh, stood out beautifully for me. Ruth four eighteen, and then Matthew one three. You'll notice a, a a key name here in the genealogy of Ruth and Boaz. Now these are the generations of Perez. Who's Perez? He's Judah's son. And Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Mm. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, that God can take and mm-hmm. did take mm-hmm. this, this evil act on the part of this scoundrel and give us David. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's it, beautiful. And again, I don't know if when you wanted to get into this, but it was it was Perez the younger. Yes, that's right. Again, that's this, right. This continuing thing of the Lord's preference yep. to do things a little bit other yeah. than. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, you get you get this. This is a theme throughout the Bible. I mean, we talk about it. Jesus in his parables, he always alludes to the lesser. Mm-hmm. And and it's right there in the in the birth narrative. Perez is the second born. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to see it again at the end of Joseph's life, right? He's going to bless the younger. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's almost as if the Lord is turning on its head the world's standard of doing things. And is going, no, 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 you're not running the show. This is the way I do it. Yeah. And he's going to say with David, I look at the heart, not at the outside. Well, they do bring all his brothers. Well, there's one out in the field, and he's ruddy. And the, and the Lord said to the prophet, no, that's not how I see things. Yeah. And so this, there's that, the younger, mm-hmm. not the older. Mm-hmm. So it's the Lord running history to bring it to his conclusions. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it's a gospel tributary that takes us to the nature of God to not leave our salvation to ourselves. Right. Because we would clearly mess it up, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so here's a, here's a question, not from you guys, but why is this passage located right after the introduction to Joseph, that's inside the last statement, the last section of Genesis that says these are the generations of Jacob. So the passage tells us these are the generations of Jacob. So we anticipate this is going to be a story about Jacob. Then it goes Joseph, and now it goes this weird passage about Judah. Why is this passage located right here as opposed to somewhere else in the narrative of the gospel? So let's have fun with that. Yes, so... One of the things that, you know, scholars in the 
20th century, they start reading these things and they start going, see, this doesn't make any sense. This is right. something that was added at some point way down the road. Moses didn't write this. This is, this is exactly what we said was true about the Bible. Right. You can't trust it. Right. And so it doesn't make any sense that you tell a story about Joseph that goes from 37 to 50 and right in the middle drop this bomb about Judah doing all these weird things. Right. What in the world has that got to do with anything? Well, we've already talked a lot about what it has to do with everything. Right. But this is the story of Jacob. This isn't the story of Joseph. That's right. Joseph is a part of that story, but the story of Jacob is the story of Jacob's descendants, which are eventually going to lead to the Messiah. That's right. So this this business of um, the, the Messiah is going to come through, not through Joseph's line, but through Judah's line. So it makes perfect sense that we've got to understand what's been going on with Judah That's right. in the middle of all this story. This, we're going to... Joseph is sold off into slavery, 14, 15 years old, 16 years old. Right. He's 30 before he becomes the leader of Egypt. Right. He's, there's seven years of famine. I mean, there's seven years of prospering, and then right. there's seven years of famine. So we're looking at 25 years worth of time that is going to pass between 37 and, and 50. Right. Well, life continues on back at the farm. That's right. Judah, it's not like they all forgot about Joseph and, and just, you know, life doesn't matter anymore. Right. God is at work back there. They, Joseph is off doing his things that are going to help yeah. us understand God. Right. And then Judah is doing the things that he needs to do to produce an heir so that That's right. David can come and Jesus can come. So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things in there, how these stories are connected, the use of a goat right. over and over again in these stories, deception. Right. Um, but this is not the story of Joseph. This is, the Bible told us this was going to be the story of Jacob. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and again, it's this reminder that from Genesis 3.15, this offspring of this woman will come and crush mm. the head of the serpent. Yeah. And he has not let go of that promise. Mm -hmm. And so you get this narrative and you get this story and he drops this chapter, this reminder right in the middle that says, I made a promise and I'm going to keep the promise. Don't forget, it's not about Joseph. Mm -hmm. It's about me producing one and it's going to come through this line. And so you see in the nature and character of God, he makes a promise and he intends to keep mm -hmm. it. And he's going to produce it in the plan A that he dropped prior to creation in Genesis. Mm -hmm part of the plan you guys ready for a couple of questions bring them absolutely okay uh, first question what is the meaning of the names ur onan and sheila of all the things i haven't studied, looked that up i, did not <laughs> look that I up. haven't looked that up i did not look that up i do remember as a kid growing up on my dad's john deere tractor there was an onan onan made engines on john deere's i remember that I and, and I remember that I helped me remember it. that story. I do own it. Anybody remember driving a John Deere that had an owning engine? A bunch of city slickers. What's wrong okay. with you people? That may be one that, that we yeah, that we yeah. uh we have to go, look have that to go up. research and, and of, give you an answer of all on a the blog we later. Looked at, I didn't look at okay. the name yeah, of that. Let me uh <laughs> let me ask a different question. How does the story speak to those of us who were born or raised without the blessing of our family? I think um, this would be a segue to leveret marriage, but I don't want to make it leveret marriage. I think I think what this does is it reminds us that family is not rooted in bloodline and genes, mm, but it's good. rooted in the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord! Because um, th this whole idea, God gave us a mission to fill the earth and subdue it and multiply in it, and He gave us started with Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. 
And we see this all the way through the scripture that God is bringing outsiders in and counting them in as family. So when we come to, to the New Testament, this, this picture is already firmly in place that the outsider is God's. And he demands we treat them as though they're insiders. And so that family no longer begins to be defined by genetic descent. Even Paul's going to do this in Galatians, right? Not everyone who's descended from Abraham mm-hmm. belongs to Abraham. Right. But it's those who are of the the faith of Abraham that are descendants of Abraham. So Israel isn't genetic, political Israel. Israel's you and me, you. Mm. And so, which gets us into political issues, right? Because it's not national Israel. It's not even descent from Abraham. It's faith. So that if we're in Christ, spirit is thicker than blood. We say blood's thicker than water. Spirit's thicker than blood. Mm-hmm. I got family members who are genetic descendants who are not my family. Yeah. You're my family. You're my family. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd pass over them to get to you because you are my family yeah. because we are of the faith of Abraham. And I think we see that all of the book of Ephesians, God, you know, yeah. Paul talks about the, the household of God, yeah. those who are in the kingdom. And then we get these household codes, even of how we interrelate with our own family, but how we interrelate with the family of God. And what does that look like? And there is this, this thick understanding of uh, being part of, a spiritual family is it trumps allegiance to other family. Jesus even talks about it, right? Yeah. About our right. allegiance to father or mother yeah. um, over our allegiance to him. Absolutely. Um, and that our allegiance has to be to him first. That's good. So if you if you don't hate your father and mother, you cannot be my disciple. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and there, there's also you can't always even if you get the blessing from your family, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right kind of blessing. I mean, human beings are are fallen we we don't necessarily always see things like we're supposed to see things what's happening with jacob when he blesses those boys some of the supernatural's happening i mean he he's he's predicting the future when he talks about judah and what's going to come from judah that's right and even when um you know when jacob jacob blesses joseph's sons and he ends up bless, he put he it's um he puts his you know, right yeah. hand on one, and he yeah. crosses it over. Yeah. And uh, Joseph's like, oh, my poor blind dad. You know, he, <laughs> he can't find the oldest one. Yeah. And he tries to switch him for him. It's like, okay, now keep going, Dad. And Jacob's like, no. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. So even, I mean, Joseph right. had no idea who ought to be blessed, who shouldn't be blessed. It that's was right. some of the supernaturals going on yeah, with right. Jacob. He knows because God's given him this, this yeah. special bit of revelation. That's yeah. good. I think part of the challenge for us, though, is to really live like that. I think part of our challenge in, in, in Western civilization, you hear us critique a lot Western civilization because we live in the middle of it. Um, life, life seems to try to cut familial connection mm-hmm. in the sense of the practical application of it. Time spent, mm-hmm. uh, effort given um, to actually treat. I think that's why the command for orphans and widows is so rich and played out the way it is in the New Testament is because these are your people. Mm-hmm. They're mine, and you better treat them like they're yours because you're mine, and since they're mine, they're yours too. So therefore, act like it. Yeah. And everything seems to come at that. Everything seems to try to segment us and pull us apart. Well, and you see it in Leverett marriage. Yeah. The extremes they go to to sort of keep everything inside yeah. the family and inside a, a right view of the world. Yeah. And what happens when you go outside that Yeah. and you start... Yeah, that's right. So I mean, we'll talk about that probably at some point. That's yeah. right. Uh, our our first question has been crowdsourced answered by Mr. Purser. So oh, the nice. meaning of Ur er is guardian. 
um, and the meaning of Onan is strength or power in Hebrew. So both of those guys. Which is guys, why the John Deere engine was Onan. Right. Yeah. Strength and power. So both of those guys <laughs> failed to live up to their names. Yeah, so, yeah that's Somebody good. at John Deere just looked up, and, but they didn't know the story. So John Deere, a Christian right? company, because yeah. they, they were like, flowing. No, it's power. That's cool. That's interesting. Wow. That's fat. Thank you, Jonathan. That's good stuff. Um, you have another question? Because I really, I'd love that, to hit that. That reminds me, we, there was, I always loved Sychar because of what happened there with the woman at the well. Yeah. And there was a, I was going to name this place that was significant to us, Sychar, until you, then you realize that what Sychar means is like, it's got something to do with deception and treachery <laughs> and it's like, well, God, I hate, you know, I wanted, I wanted to love that place, but yeah. now I can't. Yeah, you can't love it. <laughs> Just rename it, yeah. right? Yeah. Language is fluid, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to get to Leverett marriage. We had a, a question about that, but I think. Are we still getting there a little bit later on? I would love to get there unless we got a better question on the front end because that one makes me nervous. It'll take a while too. Yeah. All right, let's do it. I think it's worth unpacking. Let's do it. So our take, what's our take on this whole take your dead brother's wife into your home and produce children for your dead brother? And the language for that is leveret marriage. And leveret comes from a a Latin word, lever, meaning husband's brother. So you read this passage... Judah says to Onan, hey, your brother's dead. Now, you need to have relations with her and produce a line. And he's not just making this up. This came from the Lord in Deuteronomy 25, 5 to 10. Mm -hmm. They were to propagate, if they had a dead brother and he didn't have children, the next brother was to take that wife and produce children in the name of his brother brother. for his Mm -hmm. brother so that she could be cared for, financially provided for, familiarly provided for um and and that just feels particularly for us and there are reasons for this and we're going to unpack this that feels weird so what is going on with this go have children with your sister-in-law yeah there's there's so many things um that comes to mind there just in the that we learn about the nature of marriage that we learn about the nature of you know one this one flesh union um i don't know that we talked about this but so um, Ur and Tamar are together. They're one flesh now. Yeah. He passes. And so because she's still one flesh with him, if she has a child, it's his child. Mm-hmm. Um, so and he's he's that child has everything coming to him that a firstborn yeah. would have come to him. Right. Even though it clearly wasn't That's right. in God's economy. Tamar was Ur's wife. Yeah. Um, and so. And then, of course, all the things that, that happened with Onan, why he didn't want to, you know, yeah. do what he was supposed to do, because what that would, Im- the implications for his kids now, yeah. his kids now are first in line. Yeah. If she has children, that blows everything for them. He's yeah. like, I don't want, no, I'm not, I'm not in on this. His children are no longer first in line. Right. So, which it points to the fact that Onan is yeah. no longer trusting the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. But none of that matters to him. He's, he's, he's on to a worldview that where he's going to make things happen for himself. Yeah. yeah. But the, so... This business of um, helping your brother's wife have children, right. um, for us, it just it, it, it helps us realize just so how different a worldview can become over time. Right. We hear that, and it's, like, absurd, yeah. even though it's what God required. Yeah. And so that leads you into this question of, well, what is, what is healthy sexual relations even all about? Right. Is it about pleasure? Is it about bringing forward descendants for the glory of God. Right. Go back to Genesis and look what Adam and Eve were told to do. Yeah. 
And so, um, and then you look at, you look at all these, these dead wounds that we see in Genesis that God raised to life. That's right. He literally is raising dead wounds to life yeah. so they can produce these offspring that are going to fill the earth, take yeah. dominion, and express, spread the glory of God over all the world. That's right. And you got these women who are like, I, I have to have a child. And we look at that and go, well, she's just confused. Why in the world does she care so much? Well, it might be that she's right. Yeah. And we've sort of sidetracked sexual, sexual relations right. to mean something that it's not only maybe. That's right. It, it exposes our worldview in regard to sexual relations coming out of sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. We have right. a tendency because of the world we live in. And this sexual revolution, we have a tendency to see sexual relations and the pleasure and joy provided as the end in and of Mm -hmm. itself as opposed to a means to an end of filling the earth and multiplying in it, Mm -hmm. right? And so for us, it feels weird because we think of it in terms of pornographic intentions Mm -hmm. on the front end not multiplying and filling the earth mm-hmm. intentions. And so it begins to expose how we even view that relationship. Yeah. That how could how could this be and and maintain a healthy family? Yeah. This God is, God expected these brothers to be able to do that and do it in a way that was consistent with what God called them to do because yeah. it pro- it produced an heir and it produced people who yeah. were going to fill the world with his glory. Yeah. So they were able to disconnect that because because it was so real and ever-present to them that that act yeah. was more than just the act. That's right. And That's we right. can... So, so the takeaway message for me is, what is it that we that feels so right and normal to us that maybe in God's economy, we've completely gotten it sidetracked? That's right. There are things that we view the world, and it's it's more culture and yeah. more a result of a... 1950s, 60s, 70s change in sexual ethic. Right. That's right. Then it is biblical. That's right. Living and understanding. Which shows you the nature of the idolatry. What is intended to be a means to an Mm, end has now become the end and it's worshipped and it's a multi-billion dollar industry and has skewed our concept of it such that we have to monitor our kids' emails, Mm -hmm. have to monitor what they look at on the website because it's now an object of worship. Mm -hmm. Two image bearers engaging in this one flesh activity is now turned into this worship of a demon mm-hmm. that has taken the place of God rather than it being an, an, a means to the end of achieving the Great Commission. Right. So, three sons. The oldest, I have three sons. The oldest is married. They're all three married. One passes away. Is the next one in line supposed to take his sister-in-law now and produce godly offspring? Yes or no? I have that. that this is a gospel arc. There yeah. is a gospel arc to this story. And you're going to see it yeah. because, because we're going to have to do a little, little work. But we've got to ask the question. It's in your Bible. It's there. And as Christians, we don't skip over those. Genesis to Malachi is Christian scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so we've been teaching you. Jesus taught us to read this. He said, "This points to me." Now, it yeah. does or it doesn't. If it yeah. doesn't, we're worshiping a false deity. If it does, we better figure it out. Yeah. Well, what I tell you, we don't do 
yeah. is we don't read that, go, that makes me sick, so it must not be right. Right. That's right. That's right. We don't, we don't run that through right. our 20th, 20th and 21st century sexual ethic or any other ethic right. and then draw a conclusion. We cannot do that. Cannot do that. That's right. Um, and that's what some people who reject the Old Testament do. That's right. They read things that make them uncomfortable. And they, instead of going, okay, well, you know, the Lord has given us revelation. Let's deal with it yeah. in, in a covenantal sense. Yeah. Instead, they just go, man, this is going to be difficult for people. It's going to draw them. It's going to make them confused. Just toss it. We just read this part. Yeah. Let's start in Matthew just 1. Start in Matthew and go to the right. Yeah. So stay, stay out of that. Stuff, I'm going right? to let you dig in. But I, I think the answer is no. <laughs> yeah. We aren't supposed to do that. Absolutely. And there's a reason why when you read all of Scripture together as it lays itself out over progressive revelation in yeah. covenants. That's right. Well, I think a key here, and you guys have to follow this a little bit. When Jesus comes along and he takes the titles he takes to himself, they're not arbitrary. When Jesus says he's the son of God, the Old Testament student should go, who was God's son? Jacob. And he got renamed Israel. And what did God say? Israel, my son. So when Jesus comes, and did Israel faithfully obey the Lord? Heck no. Pretty much from, gosh, we got... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and from then on, nothing but failures, epic failure, epic failure, epic failure for God's Son. Well, Jesus comes along, and he's pronounced the Son of God. The right? true Israel. The true Israel. And then you get these crazy pronouncements, like in Acts 13, and you see them uh, in, in Luke chapter 20 and 21, where the writer tells us that everything written in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Christ. Well, how can that be? Because Jesus is the faithful Israel. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the faithful son of God. He's the fully obedient son of God. And what does he call us who are in him by faith? His body. So what are we? We are sons and daughters of God. Okay? Now, this is huge. God gave them a mission to fill the earth and subdue it and multiply it. So sexual relationship had a mission of propagating the name of God among the nations, right? And so, now that Jesus has come and fulfilled all of that perfectly and made for himself a body out of the church, we now have these beautiful glimpses in the New Testament about caring for widows. What they had to provide... In physical relationship, the body of Christ now provides in presence. Because Jesus has fulfilled all of that, the widow and the orphan is cared for not through sexual relationship and propagation, but because we are family. Mm -hmm. So that if I pass, Jennifer doesn't not have a husband. She's got a whole body. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's got a whole church full of children because Jesus yeah. fulfilled that and made it possible. And the challenge for us is not understanding that. That's not hard to get. It's just we've got to read it enough and see the narrative mm -hmm. enough to make the connections. The challenge for us is doing that. Yeah. Because it's easy to go back and say, well, geez, should we just be having, you know, my brother died. Should I propagate? No. I am her husband. You are her family. Right? My children are your children. Your children are my children because we are in Christ who is the faithful Israel and we're in him by faith. And therefore, when there's a need, we just simply meet it because we're family.
It's not a line item in the budget. Mm-hmm. It comes out of my pocket because we're family. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And so this gospel arc here is to point us to this fulfillment in Christ that Jesus made a way for that in making a body for himself that completely fulfills yeah. the law. So when you read things about Jesus fulfilling the law, he says not a jot or tittle will pass away until all is accomplished. And, and, and then he says, I came not to what? Abolish it, but to fulfill mm-hmm. it. It doesn't go away. It teaches us. Galatians 3.24, the law was my teacher to take me to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So these things are there to arc us over to my Lord. What's, yeah. Who's going to care for? The body cares for. Because we are the body mm-hmm. of Jesus. We're the physical body of Christ. Yeah, and the implications on that are more than we can even right. deal with. Well, in, in the, new, the New Testament reality is that we no longer, Israel no longer grows through physical birth. That's right. Israel grows through spiritual birth. That's right. You don't have to have children to bring kids right. into the kingdom. That's right. So that's a different reality also. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then the implications now, family life together, right? Covenant life. You hear us talk about these things about covenant community. We're not making stuff up. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to propagate an organization on earth. These are, this is language that comes from the text of Scripture that tells us we are a family. And if you don't act like family, you're not in the family. But when you're in the family, you act like the family, mm-hmm. right? And so every time a new child comes into the kingdom of God, I got a new child. Y'all got right. new children. Isn't that crazy? And we see this in the book of Acts. We see this you know, early on, Acts 6, when you have widows yeah. that are not being cared for. Yeah. They're cared for in the church. Yeah. You see this all throughout the book of Acts of them sharing their possessions. You see this in, in other places in the New Testament of the command yeah. to be part of the family of God together. Yeah. Um, you see it in James, the command for you know, the or- orphans and widows in James 1. And so it is a theme that we see throughout the New Testament mm-hmm. that uh, it's yeah. not just physical blood, but it is, it is spiritual relations. That's right. Paul even goes so far as to say to the Thessalonians that, you should work hard to provide so that everybody has something to contribute. Because if you don't care for your family, you're an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Worse. I mean, uh, worse than an mm-hmm. unbeliever, he says. So you, you, you're even past unbeliever. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I find it interesting that no New Testament author, particularly a Jewish New Testament background author, brings this up. They understand it. Mm-hmm. And they transfer it over to the care of the widow and providing for one mm-hmm. another and working hard to bring provision so that... We're fulfilling that. They understood it. They knew. We, we, we have to dive past what has happened in the sexual revolution and our worldview and scripture, just scripture illiteracy. Not knowing our Bibles well enough yeah. to arc that stuff over and make those connections. Proof texting will never get you there. Yeah. Right? Reading my favorite book of the Bible will never get me there. It's yeah. only repetition through the entire canon multiple times that you start making those connections and going, he was Jewish. Yeah. He didn't do... And, and boom, yeah. and then it starts landing. And so our worldview and biblical illiteracy make things like this hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. But when we put on the lens of Scripture, when we start arcing these tributaries to the gospel, stuff starts landing, mm-hmm. making sense. Yeah, Lots of good questions. I know we're about out of time. And, um, we've done this twice now, and you guys have asked a lot of fantastic questions. We didn't get to all of them last time. Um, we responded with a blog and first Sunday this morning, and I think we'll probably do something similar mm-hmm. uh, because there's still uh, at least half a dozen good questions that yeah. we're just simply out of time. Uh, but these are the kinds of things that we need to wrestle with, um, and and how do we 
live out our faith? How do we deal with difficult passages? Because I think one of the ways that you grow most as a Christian is when you read something and you go, what in the world does that mean? And and how do I respond to that? What do I do do with that? And instead of just putting aside and trying to forget about it, dealing with what is God saying? What is he doing here? What is his purpose for me to know this? Yeah. Um, I'm going to do one question for fun. One more question for, for I got I got some doozies. Give the least um, doozy question. The least doozy. Um, <laughs> I think this is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So here's maybe one of the least doozy. They're all doozies. Um <laughs> These, they're good questions, though. I yeah. think this is a this is a conversation that you know help, causes us to ask hard questions and think hard questions. Uh, can we talk about Tamar's actions? She wasn't given children by her dead husband's brother, so would it have been plausible to think that she should go to Judah to make sure she is impregnated and therefore cared for, and thereby what she therefore what she did is not wrong. I don't know that I would insinuate her actions were wrong in the first place. Maybe they were. I, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking through. That never entered my mind that what Tamar was doing was wrong. What entered my mind as I studied through this text is Judah's blatant refusal to do what's right and God's grace to him in spite yeah. of it by Tamar just taking the reins a little bit. I think there's some, I mean, just you know, rebuke me. I need to be rebuked, but I think I think there is there is a hint of Tamar pulling a Mary, not Mary the mother of Jesus, but Mary of Mary and Martha, where she sits at the feet of Jesus. Rather than doing the woman duty, she sits with the men and learns, and Jesus said she's chosen the better part, and I'm not going to take it from her. Hmm. <laughs> and there's Tamar going, he won't do it, I will. So I think there is a I think there is some redemptive work here going yeah. on in a woman because she is an image bearer of God too and should be taken care of appropriately and educated properly and rather than being treated like cattle, she does what he won't do. Mm-hmm. And the Lord is providentially lifting her up to the right place she ought to be. So I don't see what I truly, and I could be wrong, I don't see what she did is wrong. Yeah, I see her as being the righteous one in the story. Yeah. This is the last table talk we'll have. Because <laughs> I'm <about> to... <laughs> yeah, so I mean... Yeah, I, I may have a little bit of a different take on that. Um, clearly, what Judah was not, she sat around and she, Sheila's not coming. You know, yeah. Judah's not, she realizes at this point in the game, she's not going to be able to have a child yeah. uh, for, for her and to, to pass on things. And so, um, you know, what might have happened if she hadn't taken matters into her own hands, I don't know. I mean, one of the things about the scriptures we try to do in the Old Testament and the New Testament is go, okay, what is what life application instruction is this for me? Can I deceive my father-in-law to get what I feel like the Lord wants for me? Mm. Um, I've got one of the one of the guys I respect the most at Jim Hamilton at, at Southern thinks that lying's fine if it's if it's if you're convinced that's what God wants for you to happen. Midwives and Rahab. Yeah. Right? So because yeah, there's there's examples in Scripture. I bon- think Bonhoeffer thought that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so I, I think we have to be super careful um, being deceptive. To, to get what we believe God has, has brought. I, I think Ju, um, Tamar was, was doing, she lo- what she longed for was right. And certainly God used that. I think, um, you know, dressing up as a, as a shrine prostitute, maybe pushing it in pushing my mind. Pushing it, yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. She, she, 
you know, she would have essentially been representing herself as a holy person on behalf of the gods. Because if you have sex yeah. with a temple prostitute, the whole fertility part flows over into your goats and your crops. And your, yeah. and that's the way you worship those gods. Yeah. It's all a fertility thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that gets really gross in a yeah. hurry. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what they believe. That's what they believe. Absolutely. And so she was sort of representing herself as this. And, you know, something she's not. Something that she's not so. Um, I think it can be a kind of a both and thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you. I, I think it's easy for that to become a very slippery slope really quick to say the end justifies the means, mm-hmm. no matter what, because we think, well, God wants this outcome, so I'm going to make this outcome happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of what Bonhoeffer was wrestling with, and mm-hmm. should I participate in these execution plots to kill Adolf Hitler? Yeah. And he he said yes, and his reason was because under these extenuating circumstances, there's a genocide happening in Egypt, so we'll lie about the women being swift in birth and letting the boys live. Mm-hmm. And the Lord blessed those women and gave them children. He blessed their lying. And Rahab, you seen them? No, I ain't seen them. Yeah, she lied. They're hiding up in the roof. So I think <laughs> Bonhoeffer's point, there are extenuating circumstances that, that, that allow us to holy deception. Yeah. But that can't become a way of justifying any and everything I want as opposed yeah. to. Yeah. And that, that's and Bonhoeffer wrestled hard with that. It's not like Bonhoeffer wrote a sentence or two and said, I feel good about this. There was a constant guilty wrestling in his soul of, should I kill another image bearer of God? Mm. And he wrestled back and forth with that. And he participated in the Valkyrie. Like he was one of the participants. And yeah. if you've seen the movie Valkyrie, great movie. Bonhoeffer was part of that. Yeah. German pastor. So um, I do think, can I, can we end with yeah. this? I got a statement here. We'll, we'll come back to your questions. We'll write and we'll do a first Sunday on them. And here's a statement for us to, to walk out of this passage on. God's good purposes are bound up in the growth and development of his people, even in all their messes. And here's a quote for you from Andrew Reed in his book, Salvation Begins. In this way, it is possible to see all of life as the medium of God's activity. Just marinate in that for a second. Mm-hmm. All of life is a medium of God's activity. He's not just active when we read our Bible and pray. He is also active when we live in our world. Hence, when we wake up tomorrow and we don't wake up today. Wait, let me read that again. I messed that up. Hence, <laughs> when we wake up tomorrow, we don't wake up to a day without God. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow is God's day. For he made it, formed it, and works in it. What's more, he wants you to enter tomorrow determined to be his person in it and to let Christ be formed in you as you allow his word to interact with your situation. And we see in this narrative God working even through the sin and deception and folly of people so that even in the nuances and the tiny little minute details of the day, God wasn't absent from the Judah and Tamar mm-hmm. situation. Not doing evil, but working. Remember yeah. our banner, mm-hmm. what others meant for evil, God meant that to be for my good. So as we go into tomorrow, he's not absent from the fiber of our day. And we live like that, mm-hmm. recognizing and submitting to and seeking to follow his instruction. So how about let's pray? And let's worship together. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name you would be exalted and lifted high. Lord, your word is truly a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Help us to hide it deep in our heart that we might not sin against you. Holy Spirit, Jesus said you are the counselor, the helper, the guide to truth. So we ask that you would cause 
us to see gospel, redemptive, holy purpose in Genesis 38. We know it's there because you tell us it's there, and we've done our very best to pull the curtain back so we can see just a little bit of it. So, Lord, we pray this morning that you would work that in the souls of your people and that you would cause us to see your glory and your fame and your might and your power richer, deeper, and more enjoyable. Lord, I pray that even now you would bring forth worship from our lips and that we would praise you for your providential, powerful grace. But we pray also that if one has seen and heard a nuance of the gospel today that has wrecked their cold, dead heart and taken it out and put in a live new heart, that you would complete that work of salvation by causing them to trust in you and believe in you. But we believe every stitch of your word is able to lead us to salvation in Christ. So if this morning you've pulled that off, bring it to completion. And cause them to seek out good counsel from us today. And Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, don't let us walk out of here today without giving you praise. For none of our circumstances has escaped your eye. And in all of it, you're working for our good. So be glorified from us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name.